You're listening to the Northfield Podcast with your host, Caleb Gordon, where faith, family, and culture all collide with a biblical worldview. Hang on and buckle up. You're about to enter the Northfield Nation. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Northfield Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Gordon. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be a part of the program today. And I hope your holidays were fantastic. We're kicking off the new year um, with a bang. I am so excited about this interview today. We've got Mr. David Bonson on the program today. He is the Chief Investment Officer for the Bonson Group, which is a wealth management firm. It's based out of California, and, and he loves the Lord Jesus Christ. He, um, he, he is just, I heard him speak last year at a conference in Kentucky, and I was just overwhelmed by just the, the amount of solid biblical content um, from, from, from a biblical worldview on economics, business, and, and, and running businesses and being good employees. It was just fantastic. So looking forward to this conversation. We talk about faith. We talk about um, culture. We talk about politics. We talk about investment all through the lenses of of having a kingdom mindset for the glory of God and for the betterment of mankind. So I pray that this this conversation blesses you and spurs you on for this week. Welcome to the Northfield Nation, Mr. David Bonson. How in the world are you doing? Well, I'm doing great. Wonderful to be with you. Great, great. You guys have a good holiday? Yeah, we did. It was uh, was very nice. It uh, is always good to have that little break, uh, especially with kids in school. And then it's always nice to get back into the grind as well. Absolutely. So just so folks know, I saw you in October at a conference called Fight, Laugh, Feast. And I was I was there with, I'm a bivocational preacher. And I was um, there, got there early for the, for the business maker uh, pre-conference and got to hear you speak at that event and just was blown away uh, by your, your topic and your, and your talk. And was excited to, to see Christians um, getting their hands in uh, the business world, and and wanted to when I when after I I heard you I said man I want to have this guy on on the show just to talk about uh, uh, all the things that are um, business and Christian related. So um, appreciate that that you're taking the time to talk to us. Um, let's well, jump. Ha- happy to do it, and I appreciate your kind words about the talk. That means a lot to me. Yeah, thank you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, so I want to jump right in, and and we're gonna I'm gonna hit with what. Okay, so it's it's an election year. Um, how do you think from an economic standpoint? What do you what do you think is coming down the pike? You know, I actually just got done writing my kind of year ahead forecast. I do a sort of twenty page white paper every year to kind of forecast our key themes and perspectives for the year economically and markets and whatnot. And, and that's always available for free to everybody at dividendcafe.com. And so it's just been published there, but it's funny you ask about the politics side because it is an election year. And yet one of my themes for the year is that the presidential election is going to be the biggest news story of the year and not even the fifth biggest markets story of the year. Um, And that's often the case that the electoral dynamics are really overrated in terms of what's actually happening in the day-to-day economic activity of the country. Um, But it's certainly gonna be a very, I think, melodramatic uh, chain of events as it pertains to just the, the general news cycle. 
Um, okay, so this is a Christian podcast, and so we, we talk about Jesus a lot on this podcast. And so y- your father was a theologian and, and, a, and a preacher, and I, I wanted to, I always like to ask the question, how did Jesus get a hold of you? Well, G- uh, as is um, often the case uh, in what we call covenant households, uh, Jesus got a hold of me because I was raised in a covenant household, and he deals with the children and children of children of many, many generations. And um, I'm blessed to have given my own life to the Lord at a very young age and um, have stayed faithful in in my covenant promises to God being raised in a covenant home. Nice. Um, I think that there's a great deal of people that come to a saving knowledge of the Lord as adults, and there are still a few of us that were blessed to have been raised in a Christian home, and and I was one of them. And and you mentioned my late father, who was the the guiding influence in that, who who yes. raised me um, to to know and to love Jesus. And uh, for that, of course, I'll be eternally grateful. Amen. Amen. Yep. I, my father was also a minister, and and just the the faithfulness of of dads. Um, showing their children what it looks like to to love the Lord Jesus and to love His Word is 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 eternally beneficial. So so great. Um, in terms of of uh, economics, what do you think Christians should be doing uh, over this next oh I don't know the next four or five years that are happening? Ha- where do, where do you think Christians should be putting their money? Where do you think Christians should be, uh, or do you think Christians should be investing in certain things? And are, are they um, looking for, uh, or should they be looking for uh, opportunities to advance businesses in this economic um, state that we're in? You know, what's interesting is I think that in, in your mind, the way you're, you're putting that question together, you're probably thinking of it as all one subject, right? It's all okay. kind of interconnected. And I really do think that, that in a way you've sort of tapped into three different things there that are really right. important and yet maybe a little bit distinct from one another. And I'll start with the first, what would I love to see Christians doing in economics, which I'm going to make a case is a little different than what they may be doing, investing dollars for a return or what they may be doing, supporting business enterprise. I think those are are all connected. If there's a Venn diagram, there's some overlap, but they're separate categories. And the number one thing, that's probably the animating passion of my life. The thing that I am determined uh, to spend the next several decades devoted to and have been quite focused in this regard for some time is just Christians engaging economics. I mean, what they do is almost irrelevant to me compared to that they do something to further an understanding of a distinctly Christian economic worldview. Mm. And I believe that the vast majority of Christians, not all anymore, there's a lot of left-wing believers that have bought into a sort of highly progressive, highly collectivist, highly state interventionist view um, of a welfare state, of of top-down government involvement. But most believers, I still think, do have a sort of natural instinct of uh, being uh, favorable to a free market that uh, uh, believe in, you know, generally speaking, it, they like capitalism more than socialism. That, that's all good, but I don't think they know why. 
Right. And, and I don't think they're able to ground it in what I call a creational economics, understanding what God made man for and how that relates to the general study of economics, which is human action around the allocation of scarce resources. How do we study human action as Christians if we don't understand the human person? How do we understand the human person if we don't understand what the human person was made for? Mm, So really developing as a Christian community, a stronger foundation of economics, I would be tickled if some progress could be made there over the next five years. Nice. Um, I, I think the second category about investing is I do believe that uh, like whether one is a believer or unbeliever, the objective of investing is to generate a return on investment towards the achievement of a financial goal. And one's goal could be future income. It could be current income. It could be enhancing the size of an estate to leave to heirs, to a charity, to, you know, Everybody has different sort of needs, goals, and wants, and they ought to be investing in a way that's going to facilitate that. And I believe that uh, Christians should stop investing like cowards, like they're afraid of um, enterprise, like they're afraid of the world God made, that they should invest in human action, invest in human enterprise, the pursuit of profits. And whether that's in private investments or public market equities, you know, this is obviously what we do for a living, but just at a high level to avoid getting too granular or detailed in the weeds, people, I think, should largely be tethering their investments to an appropriate timeline that meets their own needs, goals, uh, whatever those solutions may be. And then the third issue you brought up is really important right now, um, how I think about uh, Christians engaging in business. Because we're living in a time where I would argue the arts, politics, certainly our universities have been going downhill for decades. Right. There was still a sense in which a lot of businesses, they weren't necessarily fighting the good fight. They weren't necessarily on our side of the antithesis. They weren't, um, you know, kingdom engaged, but they at least were so purely profit driven that they avoided the culture war. And they avoided uh, siding with the progressive left and the humanist left. And and that is not always the case anymore. There is a large uh, uh, constituency of corporate America that is either genuinely with the far left, and I mean that culturally, theologically, um, what have you, or they are at least pretending to be. And I've yet to decide which one I think is worse. I do believe that there are a lot who are faking it, that they're not really um, cultural left warriors, but they're so afraid of the cultural left that they play along. And at the end of the day, it's sort of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're playing into playing into the hands of those who, who have a, have a goal uh, to, to advance their causes. Um, Man, that's solid stuff. Thank you so much for, for that. Um, That's great, great insight. One of the things that I heard you say at uh, one of the, it, it was a different talk from fi- the Fight, Laugh, Feast group. Um, you, you're not a big fan of the idea of retirement. Um, talk talk about that for just a minute, about why you're not a fan of retirement. Yeah, it's funny. I'm holding in my hands here, uh, my brand new book. It comes out on February the 6th, but I have my 
author pre-release copy. And the name of the book is Full Time, Work and the Meaning of Life. And uh, chapter seven of the book specifically states that it may be time for us to rethink the idea of a 30-year vacation. And I go to great lengths in the book, and I'll do the same thing with you right now to clarify that I most certainly don't mean that I think a factory worker at age 20, 30, 40 ought to still be on the line doing the same level of physical work when they're 80 or 75. I I even think a white collar worker who doesn't have a, a physically toilsome job, but you know, wants more freedom in the senior years of their life, more time with grandkids, a few extra, you know, time on a sailboat and golf course. I'm, sure. I, of course, no problem. What I mean, though, is this notion of a checkout that we're done, that we're exiting, and not only exiting the workforce, that the whole purpose of being in the workforce was to accumulate the resources to get to a point where we could leave the workforce. Right. And I think that this, first of all, is a luxury that didn't exist for the bulk of human history because people died before they could ever get to a point of having that uh, 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 option. And um, it's, a, it's a byproduct of the affluence and prosperity of our great nation that people um, post-World War II could even be at a point where A, they could have the resources to do this and B, have the mortality to go an extra 20 or 25 years. Right. And so it's all a kind of newer phenomena um, in the last, let's call it 50 years. And yet Madison Avenue jumped onto it back in the 50s and 60s and really sold this idea of a retirement. And then we built retirement homes, we built retirement villages, golf courses, and the marketing imagery that almost everybody has bought into is the notion of a time when you give your keys back from the factory, office, classroom, you know, whatever the particular professional venue you worked in was, you're done, and now you're headed to um, recreation and leisure for 30 right. years. And I think that um, it's a real tragedy. And I think it's a tragedy for the retiree who forfeits their own usefulness, yeah. their own dignity, their own activity. I think it's a real um, tragedy for us that no longer get the benefit in the marketplace of a seasoned veteran who has experience and expertise. Uh, I think it's a tragedy for the companies people are retiring from where they could stay around maybe two days a week, provide mentorship, maybe serve on the board, a limited capacity to account for age and stage. Obviously there's gonna be nuance. Right, but, but that's my view of retirement, that it's, uh, it's doing a great deal of negative, but then there's a fourth victim, and this is the one I just cannot tolerate, and that's all the younger people entering the workforce who are being told implicitly by the whole concept of retirement that the purpose of work is to not do it anymore. Yeah. It's changing their outlook on work. It's creating a futility. It's creating an apathy. And ultimately, there's no theological way to overcome it. How can you tell a 30-year-old their work matters if you tell a 60-year-old, get to the golf course, buddy? Right, right. No, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I can't agree with you more. I, I have, I've always felt that way um, that there were because like, work was a pre-fall thing. I mean, work didn't come into play after Adam 
did what he did in the garden. This was Jesus. The Lord set Adam in the garden and said, work it, tend it, do, do what's necessary. And the only thing that's stepped in and, and changed the parameters has been sin. And so I, I love that you're, you're championing um, this, this thing of, of don't, don't step away. You've still have, as you get older, you still have um, value. You still have uh, purpose to, to do these things. Um, I, and I love might, and, and candidly, you probably have more to offer. Mm -hmm. um, look, uh, uh, do I want um, those that are working a beat as a street cop to be 32 able-bodied you know, or to be 72, right? I mean, obviously there's sure. physicality and things. I, I, I continue to make those nuances, but, but who has more experience and expertise? Right. I mean, that's the issue. Not only do we have this commandment and this this God-given purpose for a certain amount of productivity in our lives. You that I look, I'm a I'll be turning 50 years old this year. I'm a successful businessman running a, a, a wonderful company. Um, it's pretty rare that I'm going to 27-year-old for advice. But I sure do go to 70-year-olds, sure, you know, 63-year-olds. I mean, I want senior leadership and senior sure. counsel. Yep, that sage wisdom is so, so good. So talk about just a minute. So you you run the Bonson Financial Group. Is that, is that uh, did I that's hit that right? The business is the Bonson Group, and that's what it is. We're a wealth management firm, uh, you know, a, a U.S.-based wealth management firm, seven offices around the country. And uh, about 63 employees right now, and we're managing $5 billion on behalf of our clients. That's amazing. So what what made you think, or what made you decide you wanted to jump into that, the to the investment game? Well, it's a, I, my journey is, is a, a long and complicated story. I always wanted to, to be in business. I've always been attracted to finance, capital markets. I joke all the time because it gets a laugh when I'm on stage, but it isn't really a joke. I, I wasn't the coolest kid in the world. I was very into politics and theology, but really uh, business, finance, markets at a very young age. And, and unfortunately, my dad passing away when I was 20 years old really changed a lot of the trajectory of my life and the journey how I got here. And yet um, being able to enter the industry at, at an entry level position um, after having built up a business on my own and doing well there. And then um, starting from scratch in financial services, uh, it turned out that I was able to create a, a wonderful career on Wall Street and, and God's been good to me. That's awesome. That is fantastic. I loved it. Love to hear that, that, that uh, insight. Okay. So let's, I want to, I want to jump back just for a second. It, since it is a 2024, uh, election year who do you who, what do you think is going to happen in terms of the election you know i don't <laughs> think question. i i think that right now um you know we in financial markets are used to dealing with odds and probabilities and yep. and so certainly right now the um over 50 percent probability is that joe biden's going to be the nominee um to run for the democratic party and that donald trump's going to be the republican nominee and so then you mix two odds that are both, you know, well over 50%. You end up with a combined odds, a combined uh, probability that's a little bit lower of the two of them. You know, the odds are higher of one and, and the other one, but the two together, the odds come down a little. 
Sure. Um, but nevertheless, that's the consensus view. And then that we're going to have an election that I think most reasonable and objective people know is in a basically 50-50 country. And that there are really tremendous uh, disadvantages for President Biden uh, being older at a point where his health slowdown is very evident, not having a lot of energy, popularity, momentum, dissatisfaction with those, those middle years of his term where inflation was very high, uh, the border and immigration becoming not just a red state problem and a problem with people on the right who already didn't like him, but really an awful lot of moderates, independents, and even leftists that are very dissatisfied with what's happened with the border and immigration. He's got a lot of baggage, but then he has one really great thing going for him, which is he's going to be running against Donald Trump, who's one of the most polarizing figures in American history. Yep. Um, Donald Trump has gotten a big resurgence as a result of a lot of these indictments and criminal pursuits. Uh, my own personal opinion is some of them are frivolous, some less so, but nevertheless, it definitely has emboldened his base. Yep. And so short of some very unexpected outcome, um, you know, it's still as we're sitting here talking, you know, could something happen in Iowa that shakes things up or, or exposes a vulnerability? We know that Donald Trump has a, a, a ceiling that is not 100 percent of his own party. It's 50 percent, 60 percent. It's a lower ceiling. I suspect he's really near that ceiling, meaning he doesn't have a lot of room to go higher, but he maybe has room to go lower. And perhaps some shock in Iowa or New Hampshire comes, but I doubt it. I think the odds are that he ends up being the nominee. And then we see what happens with the courts. We see what happens with President Biden. Um, I still am very open to the idea that one of those two gentlemen will not end up being a candidate for president. Either Trump on the legal side or a surprise political side, Biden on a health side or some other development. Um, but but that's not the consensus view right now. So right now, I think you have to assume the two of them will run against each other. Yep. And then I really do believe that um, probably the only person in the world that um, Donald Trump could beat is Joe Biden. And the only person in the world that Joe Biden could beat is Donald Trump. And so the two of them are uh, lucky enough to be running against each other. Yeah, that sounds, that's, yeah, I, fantastic. Um, okay, so um, when it comes to pastors, what do you think, what should pastors be doing um, in, in, a, in a world that, that because, well, I think the, the cares or the uh, prosperity gospel group has so demonized, just made it look horrible for Christians to 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 increase their wealth or increase um, their portfolios. How can Christians, from a biblical worldview, change that? How can more specifically pastors? Well, uh, the prosperity gospel has um, done damage, but they've done damage by teaching something that was false. Right. And so we already know what to do to counter it. It's not a mystery. What do you do to counter a false teaching? You give a true teaching. That's right. So the only counter to this, the only antidote is truth. Yeah. The truthful teachings of the Bible is that the Bible is chock full of warnings about idolatry. Uh, particularly um, idolatry of wealth, uh, where one uh, can have a high propensity 
to fall into the temptation to um, idolize their own material convenience and, and comforts. And the Bible warns against it unrelentlessly. But never does the Bible in the course of doing that ever warn against working too hard. <laughs> uh, in fact, it constantly does the opposite. Yeah, It constantly says, please work harder and it will be a good thing if material benefits are a reward for your hard work. So the prosperity gospel gets it wrong by not understanding the cause and effect and not understanding what the clarity is in scripture uh, about the uh, actual promises. Um, a name it and claim it theology is not to be found in scripture, yeah. but to go work for things, to be creative, productive, and innovative, and to, um, in certain market contexts, flourish um, is an entirely biblical idea. So that's what I meant when I said earlier that we need time for Christians to truly understand economics, not just intuitively, but scripturally. Um, if we develop a Christian foundation of how we understand economics, then we, don't, uh, we will easily resist prosperity gospel, but we'll mm -hmm. also easily resist retreatism or laziness or apathy or disconnection, or this constant downgrading of people having a high view of career. Mm -hmm. um, the high view of career that is rooted to the idol of money is a sin. A high view of career that is rooted to a desire to be ambitiously productive is mm -hmm. the opposite of sin. It's noble. Yeah. This is the need of the hour. Come on. I love it. I love it. Okay. So if somebody is interested in getting your book, finding out more about what you're doing, because um, because you you also speak, you you travel and speak at different events. If they wanted to find out more about how to get a hold of you or how to how to get your books or or more about your your uh, investment business, how do they get a hold of you? Well, the reason we created Bonson.com is because it kind of can uh, hold all the above. So my last name, B-A-H-N-S-E-N bonson.com from there people can go to our work my company website our content uh the book website is fulltimebook.com and they can also get to the book website from bonson so there's there's a number of different ways we we have the web properties set up to give that information make the books available and and really try to give a whole lot of free content we're not selling anything on any of these sites uh, there's a lot of perspective there. There's more information, and I hope some of it will be useful to people. Fantastic. I, well, I mean, I just I appreciate you. I know you've got a ton going on, and I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to to just invest in us, talk to us about kingdom-minded things, and uh, I appreciate you more than you know. Well, thanks for saying that. It means a lot to me. I hope everybody has uh, benefited from what we talked about today, but I really appreciate your thoughtful questions, your kind words. I'm here to support what you're doing anytime. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you.